Welcome to On the Up and Up. I'm your host, Kira LaForgia, and every week I'm bringing you behind the scenes of running a successful business. Join me while we laugh, learn, and connect on mostly HR inappropriate topics with successful founders, diverse leaders, and kick-ass employees. It's true, your HR lady may have fired your bestie or made you sign a love contract, but we also have all the hot gossip that will make you better at your job. Whether you're on your way up the corporate ladder, are a fellow HR villain, or are building a culture as a rising entrepreneur. Okay, so I just want to preface this by saying that this episode is primarily going to speak to the experience of having people in a service-based business where your primary product is going to be fulfilled by human people. So we have so many resources that can help you to price out what you can afford and things like that. But none of that is going to help you unless you can understand what's really stopping you from taking those next steps in hiring. Now, we might refer a little bit to the employee mindset here and hiring employees and you know, stuff like that. But we can also be referring to contractors as well. Um, either way, there are there is a place for both positions in your business. My experience is primarily in managing employees. So we'll be talking about those relationships in, from an employee standpoint. But if it's your first time outsourcing or hiring something in your business that is going to help you to expand your capacity, then it can be a contractor in that role for sure, as long as that is what your business requires. So you can always listen to our other episodes about the employee versus contractor and how to identify what your business needs and blah, blah, blah. But really, this episode is not so much about that. And it's more about the why, the why behind what's keeping you from moving forward in this direction, how to identify what that is. And at the end, I want to talk a little bit about maybe you got to lean into that and not hire and how you have to build up those boundaries in your business to make sure that you're not setting yourself up to completely destroy your mental health and your livelihood by allowing your business to walk all over you if you are not a person that wants to pursue having a team or managing other people. So I want to just make sure that we are talking about this from a place of my my own downfall, my own experience, my own kind of tragic story <laughs> of what I what mistakes I have made and then going from there and starting to give you some space to figure out what the real why is that's stopping you from hiring and making that move because there isn't a way to tell this to tell you what to do without telling my story. So I'll start there and just say that I feel this topic so deeply that I've been putting off recording this for a little while. Um, But at the end of the day, it is the reason that I started my business in the first place. And having to learn these lessons and sharing them with you all is Not something that I take lightly, but it also is something that I think is one of the most important factors in driving the point of all of this. And it's my own experience. And 
I hope that hearing this story can either help you feel less alone or um, maybe you can learn from it so that (laughs) you don't end up in a situation like I was in. So I'm going to say a few years ago, but when I say a few years, I mean like five or six years ago, um, I was working in the company that I currently work for now. And I was the director of operations. And at the time, I had a team of around 45-ish employees over two physical locations here in San Diego. I had a team of a learning and development team of three trainers who trained employees coming into the building. And I had my bosses. So at the time, I had two bosses. They both co-owned the company. Um, And that was a really unique position to be in. I had started at this company. Now, my I just passed my 10-year anniversary. So I'd been there for about five, five-ish years and had started as an entry-level employee that was doing it, doing this role for fun um, to get out of my corporate job, my corporate marketing job and making cold call sales calls and on the phone all day and answering to robots and having shitty managers and being abused by a company and being a number and not a person in the corporate world. And so I started working at this company for a few hours a week to just kind of give myself a little bit of a of a reprieve from what I was dealing with in my my corporate experience. So once I was hired in this in this company, I loved it so much. I ended up moving up the ranks. I quit my other job. I traveled for a bit, came back to the same company, um, then became a site manager and then became an operations manager and then became um, an operations manager of two locations and then slowly but surely took over the director of operations role. Um, and then we had a training and development director um, that ended up leaving the company. And so then in order to make more money, I live in California, got to do these things. I convinced my bosses that I could do that too. (laughs) So now I was taking on the role of what is now currently six people's jobs because I wanted to stay out of the cubicle at my corporate job so badly that I would take on the work of as many people's jobs that I could absorb as they left the company or moved into different roles or, you know, just whatever, normal turnover stuff over the years and would make a case every single time I can do this job. And I offset that by creating really epic systems and operations to make sure that I could do more and more and more work because I thought I had to be worked to the bone every single day in a small business environment. This is what you're taught to think. I had to be worked to the bone every single day to be deserving of a salary that could actually set me up in my life here in California. Now, I know a lot about the finances and the back end of the business. And at the time, I I really believed and trusted that my bosses were doing everything that they could to make sure that I was taken care of. And I will say that one of them um, really does continue to do that. Um, A lot has changed, and maybe one day I'll talk about that more here, but When you decide to work for a small business, let alone start a small business, there are some things that you have to consider. And for me, I always joke that 
I wanted to take on six people's jobs because it was more important for me to not have to clock into a cubicle and be abused by corporate America every day than to actually have any type of mental, like the mental health was just like not comparable. My fear was that corporate trauma, but what I created in the process was a completely unsustainable career for myself. And Oftentimes in HR, we'll call it like the golden handcuffs or whatever. Um, But I never, now I look back and I know that all of this happened for a reason because what ended up happening was that I burned myself out so badly that I had, I mean, I don't even know if this is the right way to say it, but it's my story, so I'm going to, but I essentially had a nervous breakdown. I was in a position where every day I would work from home for a few hours and then I would go into the office. And again, this was before, this was like pre-pandemic, like 2019, whatever. Um, And then I basically would work my mornings in at home. I'd work out, eat my lunch, and then head into the office around noon every day. And I would rotate locations. So essentially every day was different. I thought that was so awesome. It still is. It's amazing. It's so cool. I love this type of job. Um, It's not for everyone, but it is for me. And so I remember I was under a lot of pressure. You know, at this point now, not only am I the bringing in all of the employees, hiring, training, and developing one department, but I'm also recruiting, hiring, and passing off employees to our training staff and then managing every single person's performance in the entire company by myself. And actually, now that I'm saying this, I'm like, wow, <laughs> like as, as much as I've told this story a few times, like, oh my gosh, like I, I can't believe it. Anyway, so and this is what I thought I had to do in order to earn my paycheck, which truthfully, I mean, it's not like I was making a million dollars a year or something here. Like I really wasn't. But I also thought I had to earn, I had to take on all these jobs to make it worth it for me to to be able to live the type of life I want to live. And I'm not trying to say that I'm like some bougie bitch or whatever, but like, I mean, I like a trip to anthropology every now and then. And at this point in my life, it was after my husband and I had gotten married. Um, We owned our home. We bought a home that year. Um, I had a lot of stress on me financially. My job was really stable because how could I not keep my job? (laughs) Like we every I do everything there Um, and was essentially just in this really exciting time in our life where we had just bought a, a house and but it was very it was a lot of stress. It was a lot of I mean, I'm sure you're thinking, oh, wow, like that all that stuff was going on at work. You were in charge of all these things like you're never off work um, when you're managing that many people. It's a constant energy exchange. My phone call was my phone was never not ringing. Um, I had I was constantly trying to prove myself that I was worth it. And I felt so lucky to have a job that I actually enjoyed that I allowed that to seep into my view of what I actually had to do to show up for the company and let it get so out of control that I finished my workout one morning. And I'm talking like I was doing yoga with Adrian. Like this isn't I wasn't like running on the treadmill like 500 miles an hour. Like it wasn't like I was probably like a little sweaty, but like, you know, I wasn't like crazy, like had a heart attack or something because of my workout. I literally like put my weights away and then start walking out of my office and physically crumbled to the ground, like the amount of pressure of having to fulfill all of the financial obligations of this new house and this new marriage and 
the business and all these people's jobs. My phone was ringing during my workout, and I think it just that was just the one thing that just sent me over the edge. Um, I had an employee that basically called me like an effing bitch because I didn't answer my phone when she called. Um, and as much as you have to build up like a pretty strong sense of self when you're in a management position. Um, that type of abuse was not something that was common because I was constantly going over and above. So without having those boundaries in place to keep me sane, it broke it. That was just the straw that broke the camel's back. Everything was piling on my shoulders. And then I was like, after everything I'm doing, that's it. I like crumble to the ground. I immediately have a massive panic attack. The biggest I've ever had in my life. Um, even to this day, I had to call my mom who works in psychiatry and she had to come to my house and I'm hysterically crying. My husband's at work like I could not go to work. I couldn't like I couldn't answer the phone. I couldn't call. I just had to tell my boss like I'm I'm breaking down. I can't I can't I can't. And he was like, oh, my God. OK, you know, but also my phone continues to ring. So not only is it that I'm having this massive breakdown and even if my boss has the best of intentions, there's no one else there that's there to answer these calls. So it the longer that I am unavailable, the more the things are piling up that I'm going to have to deal with soon enough. And it felt so, so heavy and way too much. And so. Over the past, you know, at this point, it was five or six years, I had several trainers. They were in our learning development side that I mentioned earlier that were are amazing. I mean, currently, one of them has worked for me for nine and a half years and they're still there. Like, it's awesome. And I remember just texting them. I can't. I'm breaking down. Like, please help. Like, I can't deal with her, this person right now or this problem or, you know, whatever was coming in turn my phone off and just leave it alone. And I know that over the next, you know, few hours as I'm kind of coming off of this panic attack, my mom comes over. She lives about 45 minutes away. She comes over. She's helping me deal with the situation. And I'm just realizing like something has to change. Like I can't feel like this all the time. But at the same time that I'm telling myself that story in my head, I'm like, I got to get into work like this is just going to be more and more and more that I have to deal with later and tomorrow and then it just it just kept coming I basically just kept re going back into that hole of panic this is never going to end that I will never have a moment like I will never have rest this will never end never end and there's you know I just felt this massive weight and this massive pressure and I know that as an entrepreneur I have also been in a really similar emotional state you know and I And it's really scary. And especially when you have people that are relying on you and if you come from a place of real care and commitment and um, humanity for your people that work for you, especially in your own business that's like providing your livelihood. Like I was putting all this pressure on me and it wasn't even my business. And now I look back on that and I'm like, yeah, I learned some stuff, you know. Um, But the craziest thing was that I was thriving absolutely thriving on that on that being needed feeling and now have I worked through this in therapy absolutely do I continue to work through it in therapy absolutely um and maybe we'll have some of those deep conversations another time but I know that's not what you're here for but that was something that I have constantly 
that situation has brought me back to a place where I constantly revisit that feeling. I can feel it in my chest right now, how I was feeling in those moments and having to look at myself in the mirror and think, what is really causing this problem? Is it that I don't have support and I can blame that on someone else? Or is it because I'm not letting anyone help me? And quite frankly, I found out very quickly the answer to this question. So essentially, after a few hours, you know, this was a really hard time. It wasn't that easy for my relationships. It wasn't that easy for my marriage. (laughs) It wasn't that easy for me. It probably wasn't that easy for my boss. Um, I turned on my phone. A few hours later, I was prepared to start panicking again. If you've ever had a panic attack, you know that kind of feeling of like, oh, it's going to come back. Oh, it's going to come back. And yeah, did my mom bring me some medication? Absolutely. And that really helped. I'd already also been in therapy for about nine months at this point. So I luckily had a support system that I could lean on as well. Um, And I took some pretty severe action for my mental health at this point. But the key and the main thing in this story is that I turned on my phone and the remember the last message that I had sent was please help to my employee Marissa and I said I can't today I'm freaking out I'm break- like I can't I don't even know what it said but I was like mention the person's name that was cussing about me in the parking lot and cuz I didn't answer my phone and just was like can you handle it like and then I'm sh- I shut off my phone And my boss was basically like, just let me know when you can talk again. Like he was super understanding and still is. And that still is, um, you know, comes up a lot in my day to day discussions of management and things like that. Took us a while to get to that point. But it was in that moment that I turned on my phone and saw that there was nothing there for me. There was no emergent emails. There was no urgency. There was just a couple of texts from a couple of employees and my boss making sure that I was okay. And I honestly, in that moment, have, I will never forget the feeling of what the hell did I trick myself into thinking that got me into this place in my career? What did I do? Like, why did I do this? Why did I put myself in a situation to think the world was going to crumble around me? If I didn't actually harm myself by taking this accountability that doesn't belong to me and doesn't need to belong to me. And all that all that happened with my absence that I thought was going to be the end of the world, that I had told myself this story that it was going to be the end of the world, was that I had people showing up and doing a job that they had been training to do for years and that I hadn't given them the chance to do. So me having this panic attack and having this whole thing go down, basically just the universe just threw it in my face and was like, oh, is this how we're going to have to teach you this lesson? My friend told me once the universe will always try to teach you the same lesson over and over again until you get it. And this was one of those moments for me because I was like, how's it going? And the my employees that had been waiting to step into this leadership role for so long, they were just waiting for me to relinquish some of that control were ready, able, willing, and absolutely smashed it. There was ab- there was nothing that I needed to do. There was nothing extra that I had to do. All I had to do was just take care of myself because taking care of myself in that moment was actually the most impactful thing that I could do for my job or for my team. 
And because the universe shoved me out of the way, it showed me this amazing potential and all the work that I had subconsciously been putting into these employees, they now had to show what they've learned and what they did. And there was not one bad thing that happened as a result of me not being around for that day or those following couple of days. They stepped into their role. They claimed their space as leaders. And I learned a really valuable lesson that what was preventing me from actually taking control of my leadership and taking control of my boundaries and creating an environment in which I could thrive as an individual to show up the best for other people, my view of that was holding them back from showing up in their true form and in their true self and really helping to create a space for them to step into their leadership that they are still doing every single day at this moment as I'm recording this. I have not gotten one phone call from that business all day long. I have not gotten one help me text. I have not gotten one um, outreach. I They all know how to do their jobs and now they are They have built themselves into director level positions over the last few years that has allowed me the space to start this business and to teach other people how to trust themselves as leaders too. And let me tell you, that was humbling, very humbling to get so much of your self-worth from being the one that everyone needs and to being that important person that everyone needs in order to get things done to then having this be basically just a made-up story in my head that I was telling myself and also how I did this to myself. No one else did it to me. And there were definitely moments where I was misguided and I was saying, oh, I'm stressed because of my boss or I'm stressed because of my one of my bosses Um, or I'm stressed because of the work or no one else can do this the way that I can or I can't trust that because of this, this and this situation that I saw this employee do or whatever the case may be. I learned those lessons that day and I'll never forget them. And what ended up happening is I took real care of my mental health at that point, prioritized it. I was then diagnosed with PTSD from burnout, which is a real thing. So there are plenty of people out there that talk a lot about burnout. And I learned that being able to trust yourself as a leader means being able to trust the other people that work for you. So when we're talking about this conversation of what's really stopping you from hiring, I think that it really relates to that story. And I I am not the hero of every business I work for, and I don't need to be. And being able to get myself worth from other things besides just what I'm producing at my job or through my business was a key point in understanding what I'm really supposed to be doing here and how we as women especially have been manipulated and tricked into thinking that that is our entire purpose is to be the hero and the rock and the strong person and all of this that is a essential exchange for your self-worth versus what you're producing for other people. And, you know, I think that when I talk to women that are in business and have 
essentially created an environment where they have team members that they can trust. It's usually the women that have a really solid sense of self and a really solid understanding of the actual limits of what we can do as a person and how much self-worth we're getting from our business. And I'm so excited because next week we're going to be um, publishing our episode with Lauren Laredo, who is the CEO and founder of Brand Good Time. And we recorded such a killer episode on this and her experience. It comes out next week. Um, but back to the topic of today. Now, we we could go on probably for days and days, and I'd love to hear your story. Please send me a message if you have anything that's, that is resonating with you here. Um, and, you know, in sharing this story, I'm sure that it is exposing a lot of weaknesses and faults. <laughs> um, but I think that's also one of the reasons that about halfway into my career, five or six years ago, I really started to embrace the side of business that is often categorized as HR, but here at Paradigm, we call it people operations. Um, our perspective and the way that we approach HR is from the operational standpoint so that there is an element of making sure that you're a human, you're a humanity-centered manager, but you're also not the hero. You're not the one person. There are ways to build teams and businesses that are not all on the shoulder of one person or not all on the shoulder of your right hand. And it's why we are here today to talk about what's really stopping you. So I know, you know, through this story, you have probably started thinking, oh, well, if we're talking about what's, if that whole story was meant to talk about what's really stopping you from hiring, probably don't have to explain too much about what that actually looks like or what that actually means to you as an employer, as a leader, as an entrepreneur, if you're an HR villain, if you're a manager. I'm sure that you can probably draw some parallels there to where you can really lean into trusting yourself and kind of just like taking that chance a little bit and letting other people help and support you. But I do want to say one thing. I don't often have to have this conversation with men. <laughs> so... You know, we work with men and women, but primarily, I think probably because so many people are referring fellow entrepreneurs and things like that, we end up working with a lot of female founders. And this conversation is so resonant with them. And I love to hear those stories, but I don't have to have this conversation with men that much. And I think it's really interesting. And that's where we start to talk about how our culture and how the patriarchy and how... Um, I should just say the patriarchal culture in general has influenced and tricked us into thinking that in order to be worth anything, we have to be everything. And we don't. We don't. Um, we can be exactly who we are. And the more that we lean into the parts of ourselves that really light us up and make us the best version of ourselves and draw boundaries around the things that don't will actually help us to grow our business. So in really thinking about this, I want to talk about something that I'm calling the hiring cycle of stuck. So I know this is a quick transition, but we probably don't want to sit here and talk all day about my mental health. So moving on, um, there is a catch 22 when you're thinking about hiring somebody and whether that's your first person or your 50th person. For me, in my story as a director of operations back then, it wasn't about actually hiring somebody, but it was actually about putting somebody in a position to add a little bit more value and for them to be independent. And it did cost the company more money to make sure that that person was developing into that role. I mean, like I said earlier, my job six years ago was, is now six other people, five people and me. 
So, and granted, in that time, our income has definitely gone up. I don't think, I don't know if I can really go into those numbers, but I'm happy to share them privately. Um, But there has been a correlation between my ability to let go and build a really solid leadership team. It directly correlates with the amount of income that the company is able to bring in. And quite frankly, we would not have made it through COVID as a small business had I not learned this lesson just in time. So please keep in mind that there are legitimate, monetarily driven ROI summaries that you can see that come from actually letting go and investing in human support. So when we think about this catch-22 of hiring someone, it can feel so risky to put yourself out there and think, oh my gosh, like... I need to hire someone in order to take more clients on, but also I need to take more clients on. And in order to do that, I have to hire someone. So which comes first, the chicken or the egg? So that creates what I'm calling the hiring cycle of stuck. You're stuck because you can't get more execute, execute or get more execute, get more business or execute on ideas that you have or innovate within your business or create an even better client experience because you have no time. And then you can't actually get more time because you don't have anyone that is helping you. And so then you're worried about how you're going to afford the offset of paying for more time. But then you spend so much time (laughs) putting the person in that role that you don't have the time to execute. So there is this kind of hiring cycle that we see small business owners get into where, yes, it is a lot easier just to stay stuck. It is a lot easier to, instead of pursuing a more tricky or alternative path, it is a lot easier to just optimize your systems or raise your prices or whatever the case may be. But what we see in this industry is that unless you're creating a killer client experience that is reflective on the rates that you are putting out there in the world, then you will not succeed. And the way that you create a killer client experience as a service-based business owner is making sure that you have multiple hands in the pot so that you can show up fully with your genius and your strategy and make sure that all those other things that are getting done are not just being relied on by robots or you're not relying on robots. You're relying on human people that are enriching the experience of the client and helping your business grow exponentially. So yes, it can seem like a risk to spend money in order to make money, but your hiring and your people that are on your team are the biggest and most valuable investment that you will make in your business. Um, In the conversation with Lauren that you're going to hear next week, we talk about how we go as solopreneurs or freelancers, which are the same thing. Um, We go from investing in coaching and understanding our industry and investing in um, different ways of of expanding our business, we invest in ads, things like that. We invest in those things until we get a team. And then we invest in our team. And then those additional investments come in in order to help support that key investment. Because you will see the most ROI from investing in a team over anything else that you invest in. I was having a conversation with someone the other day. And we were, we during our 20-minute, 30-minute discovery calls to figure out what you might need in order to get started on this journey. We have a few different options. Um, I like to know about your offers. And what I told her was, you know, if you just sold one more VIP day a month, that would pay for your part-time employee. 
and her eyes lit up and she started to like really see the possibility because she's a business that has a wait list and she's at capacity. And right now at this moment, she is losing money because she can't get those clients in the door. And yes, our clients will wait. Those true clients, those true like hardcore clients will wait until their turn. But that in and of itself, having to have a client wait is a negative client expect or a negative client experience. So I just wanted to kind of point out that story a little bit in that if there is a time where you're starting to see that you have some opportunity to grow because you're turning away business or you're pushing it aside or you're booked out for the next few months or whatever the case may be, those clients that you're booked out for the next few months, if that is because you can't fit them in, then that is already a ding on your client experience. And that is not conducive with creating a lasting and sustainable, reliable, and trustworthy brand, even if they are obsessed with you. So... The last thing I want to talk about here, I know this is like a really, really girthy episode. When you wait too long to get true support, it actively harms your ability to grow your business because one of the key and the lowest cost ways to get your name out there is to make sure that your clients are referring people to you. So your cost of customer acquisition is always going to be the lowest when it's a referral, even if you're paying 500 bucks for that referral which we do, (laughs) that is still going to be your lowest. um, That is the number that you want to maintain the lowest. So in building out a sustainable small business, and maybe this is coming from being a little bit informed from my corporate experience and my working for a small, quote unquote, small business, 50 employee business, um, is that we want to make sure that our customer acquisition cost is always going to be something that is going to keep We're going to keep front of mind, but a sustainable and long-term business model is going to include not only new business and new eyes on your brand, but also it's going to be offset by the value of those referrals. So if you aren't able to create an exceptional client experience that's going to generate referrals, then you're going to harm your ability to grow directly. There are two different um, stories I have for this. The first is my amazing hairdresser. There is truly nothing I get compliments on more than my hair. And she's freaking fantastic. And she is so, she's just amazing. And it's just like the law of supply and demand. If you pay more for something, then your audience is going to get a little bit smaller, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. But the fact of the matter is sometimes she, her issue is not that she doesn't have clients. Her wait list is massively long, which is great. And that's, you know, for her, her business model and what she wants, that's exactly what she wants. It's great. She can always fill a spot when she needs to, stuff like that. That's what her goals are. However, most of us don't. And so I, so as a result, I don't refer people to her. Because I know that they are not going to be able to get in. And I also know that she is already busy enough. And so if people ask me about my hair, I'll tell, I'll definitely have them follow her. And, you know, it's they can take her inspiration pictures to their hairstylist or whatever. But truthfully, I don't refer people to her because she, I know that she doesn't have the space. And the last thing I want to do is use my relationships with my friends to send them somewhere where they're not going to get the best possible service. That may be what your clients think about you. 
if you are somebody that has to have a wait list, then you're going to, if, who wants to be referred to a wait list? Like that freaking sucks, <laughs> you know? And I know there are lots of conversations out there about boundaries and things like that. This is not for those businesses. This conversation is about the businesses that want to grow. And if you're thinking about, okay, what's really stopping me from hiring? Is it the emotional thing? Is it the trust thing? Is it that it's overwhelming? Am I in the hiring cycle of stuck where I can't justify the hiring because I can't see where that money is, but I also need to hire. Otherwise, I won't have that consistency in income. That's probably where you are. That's where everybody is. Um, And you can read our case studies about that because we have proven time and time again that when you're able to bring someone in that can really support you and you do it right and you don't waste a bunch of time going back and forth and doing it incorrectly and DIYing HR and learning laws and all that, um, then you're often going to hire multiple people within a very short period of time. There's very few businesses out there that are going to be like, yeah, I can hire this person and then I'm definitely going to be able to pay them for like the next five years, no matter what, like that's really not that common. And people that are giving advice out there like that are really silly goose people. Um, But before I go off on another tangent, maybe that's another episode. But realistically, you want to make sure that you are keeping in mind when you're thinking about what's really stopping you from hiring is that when you if you've waited too long, you may have clients that are telling you things like, oh, well, you know, some people get too big. And I love how I get you know, our relationship and I love how we work together and, you know, they keep coming back for their next project or whatever the case may be, your prices are guaranteed to stay low. You're not going to be able to raise your prices because your experience isn't going to be matching your, your client experience isn't going to be matching your experience and delivery. Um, We have a story that's playing in our head that if we get too big, then we're going to be disconnected from our clients. Um, And that can often set up a situation that is contributing to that hiring cycle of stuck. So make sure that if you have the goals for your business that you want to grow, that you are making sure that you are identifying what that looks like for you. So for my hairstylist, she wants to stay a, a one one man show. She has a manageable um, she has a great client base. She charges what she's worth. Uh, she makes her own schedule. There's so many great things that she does for herself and she has a studio that she loves and um, she gets to focus on her craft and, you know, she also know- is a really smart and really tactful person. And she knows that if she does want to expand one day, what that would take. But for now, she's choosing the life of the solopreneur and she's choosing to stay compliant as a solopreneur when and if she does have to get support. So even if you are showing up as a solopreneur, make sure that you're also identifying as a freelancer. And if that is not something that's resonating with you, if being a solopreneur and defining that as a freelancer doesn't feel like what your next goals are, then we have to kind of think about how you may need to change the way that you're identifying yourself and how you're showing up in your business based on what your true goals are. Staying a solopreneur is 100% fine. And it also will require action on the side of support to make sure that you're staying accountable. So what we want to call it is inaction also requires knowledge and accountability to laws or actively creating a plan for your business to ensure that you don't need to become a 
business business, that you can stay a solopreneur, that you can stay a freelancer. So understanding how you can leverage contracts, staying contractors, staying in compliance to make sure that you're not getting yourself in a situation where you need to hire people as an employee in order to sustain your business um, because you've decided you want to be a solopreneur. So contractors are the way to go. You can also join us in Set to Scale to make sure that you're doing that right. And you know, I always, we, a lot of our marketing materials say, yeah, we, you want to grow, you want to grow. But if you don't want to grow, there are, there are all qualifications that you have to know for that too. Um, so making sure that you can understand what your limits are in how you can use contractors. And if you are leveraging contractors in your business, but you want to make sure that you're staying, staying small and not requiring yourself to hire employees eventually, then you have to do that tactfully and artfully as well. Um, also understanding the supply and demand of your services and knowing what your capacity limits are. And if you want to stay a solopreneur, making sure that your capacity is a wall and not a window. So when you are looking at how many clients that you can take on and what you can actually do and how you can leverage contractors and maintain compliance, capacity is it. You will have a wait list. You will show up for your clients in a very specific way. You will keep the same clients over and over again, um, and you'll be able to maintain and sustain your business exactly the way that you want to, but you have to make sure that your capacity is a wall and not a window, so it cannot be permeated. Um, and then if you do decide to change your mind and to expand that capacity a little bit, then that will ensure that you know how to do that in a way that isn't going to put you in a position to be exploiting contractors or getting yourself into trouble on accident. So hopefully that makes a little bit of sense because one thing I really want to do in this podcast is to help people not only understand how to hire employees, but also how to make sure that you're creating the business that works for you. And sometimes that means that you are going to have to decide what's best for you before you ever consider what you're offering to your clients. Because truthfully, not every client's expectations of you are going to be in the best interest of your business. So at the end of the day, if you have decided that being a freelancer, staying in the solopreneur category, getting a little bit of support here and there from contractors, but you're able to pay your bills and you're able to learn, you're able to grow and be creative and have freedom and, you know, whatever your goals happen to be, then just make sure that you're taking care of that on both sides and don't ever let yourself have those capacity limits turn into a window. Learn from me, learn from my mistakes, because there was no such thing as boundaries when I had this huge incident happen to me. And it sucked. And it, when I say it happened to me, like I made it happen to me, like I am accountable to that. And I understand why I thought I had to do the things that I had to do in order to be worth what I thought my worth was. And it does come down to money, especially when it comes to your employees. And finally, I just want to say that we offer these free consults for a reason. I have worked with so many businesses, as has my team. Um, we've developed so many amazing business structures for teams that want to scale. But we also have an entire membership that's dedicated to helping you build your business the way you want to build your business or your your career. So if it comes down to it and your entire goal is to make sure that you're maximizing your time and your capacity to make the most money without having to hire, there's an art to that too. So don't forget, you can always hop over to our website, fill out our contact form, hop on our newsletter, um, and we'll reach out and schedule a quick call and talk a little bit about your goals and see what direction you need to start moving in to make sure that you get to 
have the business that you want so you can business the way you want a business. Um, but thank you so much. If you've listened to this whole thing, I know that it was pretty long winded, um, but I did feel compelled to share this story um, and to talk a little bit about how all of this, our mental health, our showing up as women in this society, as showing up as entrepreneurs, relate to each other. And the hopefully you can learn from some of these lessons so that you don't have to get to that place because no one should get to a place where they get diagnosed with PTSD from a job or from work because that is what like veterans get from war. Like the fact that my brain computed it in the same way that veteran that people get from going to war and having these like actual, yeah, it's, it's just, it's a moment of, it was a reality check for me and I'm, humiliated and also humbled to share this. Um, Thanks so much for listening and don't forget to pop over to our contact page. We'll include it in the show notes and I hope to talk to you soon. Please feel free to shoot me a voice memo or a DM on Instagram. It's me and those DMs. I'd love to hear your story and if this episode resonated. See you next week. If you're listening to this, you've stuck with me for this entire episode. And for that, I say thank you. I hope you found as much value in this week's topic as I do. If so, be sure to follow, rate, and review on the Up and Up podcast. You'll be helping others find the fun in HR too. Follow us on social media and join us next Wednesday for your weekly dose of On the Up and Up. Up.